Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And a blessed Advent to you all, and a Merry Christmas to you if I don't see you until after. We look at a familiar story today, a familiar person in the story, familiar people in the story. And when we hear their names and read their story, it's what is familiar about Christmas. But sometimes the familiar, while comforting and predictable, the familiar can also be confining and restricting and maybe at times preventing us to see new things in the familiar. Perhaps the unfamiliar within the familiar. I'll get back to that in a second. Now, St. John's is a Lutheran church. I'm a Lutheran pastor. Yes, of course, I'm a Christian pastor, but I'm part of this big Christian family that includes a lot of different siblings. And I am, and most of you are, part of that Lutheran part of the family, which means that there are certain things that are familiar to us and certain things that are familiar to our siblings that are Catholic or Baptist or Presbyterian or Pentecostal or whatever. Now, when I was learning to be a pastor, which I'm still doing, by the way, especially this year, anyway, in my pastoral training, I didn't get any hands-on experience with funerals. Nobody died on my internship while I was there. So I just didn't have the practical experience to know how to do certain things. And it's like anything. Nothing teaches you like hands-on experience. So I went out to be a pastor, and my first month into the job, a member of the church died. They wanted an open mic at the beginning of the memorial service. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. Nowadays, I know that that sort of thing is better reserved for the reception and that it's best if you're going to do that as part of the service, the family should pick one person to do it. It's just a little more orderly, respectful, and time sensitive. So here I was, a lot of people jammed into this tiny little church, and up comes a man. He grabs the microphone, he stands up in the altar area, maybe where he shouldn't be, and he lets us know in this Lutheran church that he's a Catholic brother in the Lord. And he says, I always wanted to do this. And he started singing Ave Maria like he was Pavarotti or Beyonce or something. The only thing is, he couldn't sing at all. He was way out of pitch. The tone and the key and the melody were so far off, it was pretty terrible. And inside, I'm going, all right, this is a Lutheran church. We don't, we're not familiar. We don't sing Ave Maria. I'm thinking the old Lutherans in the pews are going to report me to the holy city in St. Louis, and I will be defrocked. It was a good one-month run in the pastorate. Maybe the Catholic Church will take me in. Now, I don't want to get into the whole praying to saints thing and all that, but I was probably, at that time, a little too freaked out by this guy singing Ave Maria. I was so concerned that he was off-key and that he was out of place for a Lutheran church and how I would be viewed as a Lutheran pastor allowing this sort of thing. I was so concerned with all of that stuff that I missed the significance of what he was doing and why he was doing it and how it related to this dear, sainted woman whom we were mourning and grieving and remembering and celebrating her faith in Jesus Christ. You see, because we Lutherans, we tend to overlook Mary and her faith. 
We get a little bit nervous that people might think we'll be venerating her, so we go off the deep end on the other side, and we're afraid to revere her or honor her as we would do any other saint in the faith, a la Saint John. You see, in many ways, this out-of-key Catholic brother at the funeral was giving high praise to this dearly departed woman by saying her faith was like the faith of Mary, humble and trusting of God. Which brings me back to the whole familiar Christmas, the familiar story, the theme that we've been unpacking this Advent that we've been looking at. You see, I did an unfamiliar thing this past summer. In fact, I remember it like yesterday. I was sitting outside in my backyard. It was, I know you even know the date, it was August 1st. And I was outside reading my Bible, doing some devotions, and I was reading the Christmas story. And maybe it was because I was reading this familiar story at an unfamiliar time that I saw something unfamiliar to me. I read through all of Luke chapter 1 and then later Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to read that on Christmas Eve in just a few days. But in Luke chapter 1, where our gospel text comes from today, I noticed something that wasn't familiar to me about the story. It was unfamiliar. Now, the people were familiar. Herod and Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth and their son John the Baptist, the angel Gabriel, the Holy Spirit, and of course Mary, the Virgin Mary, and the announcement of the birth of Jesus that's in our text today. All the familiar characters in the familiar story of Christmas, all leading up to the pinnacle of Christmas in Luke chapter 2. But in those 80 verses of Luke chapter 1, and I encourage you to read it today, it won't take you that long, read it this week, read Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. I started playing the comparison game as I was reading the Christmas story. Now, normally the comparison game is when we compare ourselves to others, right? Usually we look at other people's lives and we see what they have or what they've accomplished or how they are perceived by others and we we wish we had what they had or we wish we could be more like them. Social media has made this even worse, right? Because we never post anything about having a bad day or an argument with someone or when we just feel down and out. It's only the good stuff that gets posted. Trust me, do not believe all that. No one has their life that put together, yours truly included. But I got to admit, I was playing the comparison game as I was reading Luke chapter 1 this summer. But I think this time it was good. First, I was comparing two people in the story. And then I was comparing myself to those two people in the story. And I saw some unfamiliar things in this familiar story. Our gospel reading that we just read a moment ago is the announcement of the birth of Jesus. But just right before that in Luke chapter 1, there is another birth announcement. Announcing the birth of John the Baptist. Now, if we want to play the comparison game we'll see some similarities in these birth announcements. First, there's an introduction of persons and places and time. Then this angel shows up, a birth announcement is made, and then there is a reaction to that announcement. Now, in the first story, it shows an angel showing up to Zechariah, making an announcement about an unlikely birth. In the second story, the angel shows up to Mary, 
and makes an announcement to Mary about an unprecedented, miraculous virgin birth. It's interesting because in the first story, you're introduced to what appears to be someone quite important at an important time in the midst of very important circumstances. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says, In the time of Herod, a priest named Zechariah, his wife, Elizabeth, a descendant of Aaron. A priest, right? Not just some ordinary guy. Zechariah, he's a religious leader. And his wife, she's of priestly stock. And not only that, verse 6, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. And then on top of that, since Zechariah is a priest, two times a year he serves at the temple. He serves for a week each time. And on this particular week, he's chosen by lot to go into the temple to burn incense. That's not normal. And so in this offering of the incense in the temp temple, Zechariah is performing the greatest ministry of his priestly career. A huge pinnacle moment for him. And at that very special moment, God makes an announcement to this pious priest, announcement to him and to his family and for the nation of Israel, of all of God's people. The angel Gabriel speaks to him and says these words. He says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will bring back many to the Lord, and he will go on before the Lord. Wow. It's huge. First off, his wife, who could never have kids, is going to have a son. And this son is going to do great and mighty works for the Lord, preparing the way for the Lord. It's huge. It's, it's humbling. It's awesome. It's everything that Zechariah could dream of. Zechariah, the priest, the religious leader. But his response, his response is a bit shocking. Zechariah, verse 18, asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. This is Zechariah, a priest. He knows the scriptures. He knows how many times God has orchestrated unlikely births throughout history. And here, an angel speaks to him and he's like, hmm, how can I be sure of this? Which is when, for me, the comparison game started to hit home. It started to go into my direction. And I was like, hmm, I'm a religious leader. I know the scriptures pretty well. I've been selected to be part of some awesome, humbling ministries. Now, while I've never had the angel Gabriel appear to me in a dream, I have the word of God. I have his promises. They're written down on every page. I read them every day. And I remember this past summer writing down in the column of my Bible right next to where Zechariah says, how can I be sure of this? I wrote down next to there, I have this problem too. So many times I let the worries of the world, I let the logic and reason of pragmatics, I let the status quo, I let the resignation of, well, that's just the way it is. I let it get in the way of the great truths of God and the promise of his word. 
and the promises he has for me and the knowledge of what he can do and what he is capable. Nothing is impossible with God. I know all of that, but so many times I'm tempted to say, how can I be sure of this? Now, you may have struggled that way too. You hear God's word to you, spoken to you, pronounced for you, and you ask, how can I be sure of that? I have to admit that as I read this familiar story, it hit me in an unfamiliar way. I never applied it that way before. Well, what did the angel say to Zechariah at his unlikely response? The angel, verse 19, said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day it happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Ouch! Zechariah the priest, he gets a little bit of humble pot. And when you compare his reaction to the angel, to Mary's reaction to the angel, you see something quite different. Mary, Mary, she's not a priest. She doesn't serve in the temple. She wasn't chosen to offer up the incense. She is not a religious leader. In fact, the only thing that Luke tells us about is that she's engaged and twice that she's a virgin, which means she's very young. And when the angel Gabriel speaks greetings, Kyrie in Greek, Ave in Latin, that's where we get Ave Maria, greetings, Mary. Greetings, Luke 1.28, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary, she wondered. She wondered about these words. God is telling her that she is highly graced, that she is highly favored, that God is with her, Mary, the teenager, the female, the young virgin. I'm telling you, in a patriarchal society, the comparison between the elder male priest Zechariah and the young female nobody Mary is pretty radical. The angel in the temple told the priest Zechariah that his wife would become pregnant. It's unlikely, but not unprecedented, especially when the angel Gabriel tells you it's going to happen. The angel tells Mary that she's going to give birth to the Son of the Most High, the Son of God, whose kingdom will have no end. And she's a virgin. She's not married. She's young. Something like this has never happened before in the history of humanity. And Mary does not ask, how can I be sure of this? Yes, she asked the question of process. How is this going to happen? A virgin birth is unprecedented. And when the angel says by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Most High, Mary, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. This birth announcement is far beyond anything, far beyond the one given to Zechariah the priest. And Mary does not say, well, how can I be sure of this? Mary, in humble faith and an abundance of trust, this young nobody virgin girl, she believes, she trusts. She doesn't try to fit God into her mind, her perspective, her reason, her logic, her experience, her story. She submits herself to his story. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. 
May your word to me be fulfilled. Wow. Amazing. I got to admit, when I read that, I was playing the comparison game. I want to be like Mary. I want to have that sort of faith. I want to have that sort of trust. It made me want to grab the microphone and sing like Pavarotti, Ave Maria. And ever since I read that this past summer and I noticed this difference playing the comparison game, I've been reminded of the fact that sometimes the greatest faith and wisdom is found in the marginalized nobodies on the outskirts of society. Sometimes the greatest faith and wisdom is found not in the voices and personalities that are the largest or the loudest or of the most religious pedigree. But sometimes the greatest faith and wisdom is found in the quiet, faithful, humble voices like Mary. Now, I'm not trying to put Zechariah down and throw him under the bus here. I behave like him too much. And actually, as I kept reading Luke chapter 1, I realized that there's hope, even for skeptic pastors like Zechariah and me. Because after Mary sings her magnificent magnificat and how magnificent it is, after that song, Zechariah's voice is opened again. He gets on board with what God is doing in his life and in the world. It just took him a little bit longer. It was a bit more painful for him. But his voice is opened and he sings the song of faith too. And it's in that moment that we see that it's not about Zechariah's faith and it's not about Mary's faith. It's about God's faithfulness to them both. And that in God's great love for us, both skeptic pastors and marginalized nobodies, all of us become somebody in Jesus. It's why he was born. God's faithfulness required it. Born for all humanity. Born to die for Zechariah, for Mary, for you, and for me, and for my Catholic brother who got up at that memorial to honor his dear friend in Christ. And he's saying, Ave Maria, greetings, Mary, Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, thy womb, Jesus. Like Mary, you are Full of grace. Blessed are you. The Lord is with thee. Blessed is the Lord Jesus. Amen.